0: Ow, ow, ow. Ow. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC 268. It's a an embarrassment of riches. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Obviously, we've got main event Pat Mayo on the sticks this week. Pleasure to have him back on the sticks, even if it's just for one week. Uh, producer Matt, will be back. Um, next week, I believe, and Cody Saftik joins us by the power of Zoom. How's it going, buddy? Obviously, we're talking just before this, uh, before we went on air here about yawn and my decision to not hedge out in the main event. It was the perfect hedge out spot. I should have hedged out, but I was, you know, you play to win the game, as a certain NFL coach (laughs) once said, and, uh, I I didn't, I didn't hedge and I only have myself to blame because there was... Perfect, like plus 180 that I could have taken, you know, have a nice little profitable day, you know, obviously eat into the problem. I wanted to win more. Greed consumed me. And that's, you know, that's the game we play. But you really actually did kind of crush that card. It's just a lot of people like me were dunce caps and didn't hedge out.
1: No, I mean, listen, if you have the bank for which you can let the thing ride or you're having a thrilling day and you want to let the thing ride, by all means. But yeah, we do try to set a lot of these tickets up to have that guaranteed hedge out because what's better than guaranteed money? But you made a good point before the show. You're like, listen, if you needed the money, if it was your account was down to zero, you had everything riding in this, then of course you would hedge out, right? Because you need the guaranteed money. If you've been riding pretty good and you're playing with house money and you're having some fun, then... Why not let it ride? But this week's going to be another similar situation where I could very well see Kamara Usman ending up on the top ticket. And that's no disrespect to Colby Covington. In fact, I don't think the line for this fight is all that accurate. However, it would be an easy hedge out opportunity on Colby Covington because of this big plus money status. So I have a couple of people message me, same thing every week. They're like, what's a hedge? I don't know what this term is. I, I don't know how you don't know what a head jet is, but just to make things super simple, right? Let's say you have a $100 ticket and it's got, it's an eight fight parlay. You've got a hundred dollars riding on it. You look at it. You're like, oh man, it's the main event. I have a three to one Jan Blockwitz favorite in the main event. And if I hit my $100 is going to net me a thousand dollars. So, you know, coming into the main event, your ticket is nine out of 10, eight out of nine, whatever your ticket is remaining going into the main event, you know, Jan Blockwitz wins. He's the last guy in your parlay. You're going to win $1,000, 10 times your money. Why not at that point put $200 on Glover Texera or $300 on Glover Texera? Let's call it $300. Bucks. You put $300 on Glover Texera at around plus $200, right? Then if Glover wins, then you're going to get $600. If Jan wins, you don't get the 1000 anymore because you just put $300 on Glover. If Yon wins, you make 700. So so now you're guaranteed. Hands back, watch the main event. If Glover wins, I'm making 600. If Yon wins, I'm winning 700. Perfect. Or you don't hedge and you try to win $1,000 on Yon straight up. And if he loses and he shits in the apple pie because he's got some neck injury or God knows what happened to him there, Paul Shodessee you're going to, in hindsight, say shit. You know what? Now, if the bookie's like, I'm going to kick your ass on Monday if you don't have my money, you got to let this thing ride. If you got a bill that needs to be paid, and you got to let this thing ride, then go for it, for sure. But because it's 52-week-long season, there's another card every single week. It's mostly about building that bankroll until you can afford to take shots here and there. And last week was a we were on an ungodly here, right? We hit like four PRPs out of six cards. And then the last couple have not been so good. They've been a little bit slower. These top ticket guys have been screwing us. Um, so when you have, at this point, if you have a hedged opportunity, get that money back, keep the grind going, keep that build going. I think you take it, but it all depends on what your situation is. So if Kamaru Usman ends up on the top ticket, I don't want to hear any flack this week from people being like, oh, that's his most confident play. It's like, no, he's a three to one favorite in the main event. He's the favorite for a reason. He's the defending champion. He's one of the goats of the division, all this good stuff, but it's the last fight of the night. That's the key last fight of the night. Get it on the end. That way, if everything else is intact, you will know by come main event. If the main event was awful, I'd leave it off. But the last run, it's like, it's worth having, you know, the favorite on at least. So anyways, like you said, embarrassment of riches. And I'm really happy to be talking these fights with you, buddy.
0: Yes, sir. Let's get right into the action. The fight that we were just talking about. Kamar Usman takes on Colby Covington in the main event Of UFC 268, Usman minus 320, Covington plus 250. Obviously, these guys fought uh, like a year and a half ago or so against each other. And, I mean, it was a hell of a fight. Kamara Usman gets the fifth round finish. Uh, Colby thought maybe his jaw was broken and then now says that his jaw wasn't broken. Either way, his face looked a mess by the time they got to round five. But you go back and you watch a bunch of those rounds and... It was a very, very competitive fight all the way through. Camaro probably landing the more, you know, more damaging shots and, and he came out a little bit ahead, or quite a bit ahead, you know, 30, 40 strikes, insignificant strikes when you when you look at the stats after the fact, but they were very, very close competitive rounds. So between two of two of, I will say, now that Hamzat's in the mix, but two of the best welterweights maybe we've ever seen since like GSP retired um I think the line when you were saying like before that the line is incorrect based on the improvements that we've seen from Kamar Usman I think he carries a lot more pop with his strikes knocking out George Masvidal the way that he did baptizing him the way that he did that has to count for something I think that he's really um him and Whitman are really starting to click and he's he's learning some new skills I know he's 35 years old um so this is like you know probably the last few years of him being an elite talent at this level but I feel like I feel like the line is close to right I I think it's pretty close to accurate I don't think there's really any value on the Kamara Usman side I pick him to win I think he does win so. Seventy-ish percent of the time, seventy-five percent of the time. If these guys were to eh, seven, seven out of ten sounds about right. So maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe there is value on Covington at plus two fifty. When I when I say it out that way, but um, I mean Colby's got to fight the perfect fight. What I did bet on this is I took, uh, I got it a little bit, uh, slightly better line on it. Uh, I took the over. Three and a half rounds, and I grabbed that at minus 135 yesterday. Um, it's m- minus 145 at DraftKings Sportsbook right now, which I don't hate. I really do think Colby Covington showed in that fight that's like, you'd basically need to next to kill him to get him out of there. And um, and Usman's super, super durable. Both of these guys can go five rounds. No no questions asked. I think maybe the uh, the the three and a half line set here is kind of reacting to the George Mazvidel knockout, but I think Colby can take even the best of shots that Kamaru may throw at him. So over is how I played this one. Kamaru Uzman is who I think is going to win. Uh, I don't really, I would not, I, I don't want to touch the minus three twenty. And I think on Saturday when we get to it. um as people are hedging out of parlays the same way like this this will start to tighten this will this will be very much like the Glover line that was like plus 180 by the time it the, the fight actually went off i i would be very surprised to see this go the opposite way and camaro to be minus 400 on saturday night
1: yeah, yeah. I, I think it should tighten up a little bit, but that's what I was saying. I just think the line's a little blown up when you consider both guys fought once already and how close of a fight was that? I mean, it was tit for tat the entire way. And I mean, universally, the just the striking numbers alone, Colby Covington outstrikes him by five in the first round. Colby Covington outstrikes him by one in the second round. Colby Co- Covington outstrikes him by one in the fourth round. Saul D'Amato has this thing scored three rounds to Colby Covington prior to the stoppage in the fifth. If the fight doesn't end with 50 seconds left on the clock, it is a split decision win for Kamara Usman. But again, I mean, it's dicey. How do you score the first two rounds? Third round definitely Kamara Usman. Fourth round, I'd say Colby Covington. Fifth round's a thriller. That's as tight as a championship b- a bout that you'll find. And yet now you run back rematch, and it's three to one Kamara Usman. So I think that's the little bit of the hesitancy. Everybody expects this to be a good fight, a good scrap, and you nailed it, best man. When you think about the great welterweights that 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 have been around. Well, it was Matt Hughes, right? Matt Hughes is the best welterweight that's ever walked the play until George comes around, and then it's like, oh, you know what, George is better. George had the luxury that he got to fight Matt Hughes, but he took the torch. When I look at Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington, for that matter, these are both guys I believe that would beat George St-Pierre in his prime. Why? Because George St-Pierre, in his prime, he needs a takedown. He's not taking down Colby Covington. He's not taking down Kamaru Usman. So now he's forced to strike, and even though George is an excellent striker, is he going to strike for 25 minutes, right? Did he, did he not have trouble with Johnny Hendricks? Well, how would he deal with Kamaru Usman? How would he deal with that kind of reach, that kind of length? What about Colby Covington, you know? Cra- crazy good durability. You know what? Even the fact his jaw might be broken, he says it's not. There's 50 seconds left. It's a crazy panic. He goes down. Second time he's been knocked down. Crazy sense. It's still an early stoppage as far as I'm concerned. Colby's not out, you know? Colby's a warrior. And he's 33 years old. This could be the last time he's fighting for the welterweight title. He's got a heated rivalry with Kamaru Usman. I would expect for Colby Covington to come in as the best shape he's been in. And if he comes in in very good shape, this is going to be another close battle. And so at three to one, I'm not necessarily agreeing with it. The other thing you mentioned, you said, well, you know, maybe it's a bit of a recency bias cooked it. I mean, since they fought, you've got Colby Covington's fought once. And it was against bum-ass Tyron Woodley. So what can you take away from that? Whereas Usman's been fighting... Well, he beat Gilbert Burns, which is a definite feather in your cap. And then he's got two wins over George mazadal which is still, it's good competition. But keep in mind, the first George mazadal fight, mazadal actually doesn't have a bad performance about him. He took the fight on like four days' notice, struggled mightily to make weight, and yet had a lot of success against Kamaru Usman in the early portion of the fight before he tired out. Understandably, he took it on short notice. And the fight with Gilbert Burns, well, Gilbert Burns, I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say he didn't drop him, certainly. It's not a knockdown, but, I mean, he definitely wobbles him. He definitely caught him pretty good. And then the third fight with George Mazdal, sorry, the second fight with Mazdal, the third fight is, is most recent. Yeah, he just looked real good to me. Like, he looked, he looked dialed in. Now, is this the kind of guy that you can catch and hurt? Sure, but knocking him out is going to be a problem. Submitting him, I don't think Colby Covington is going to submit him. So you're going to have a good back and forth tilt until somebody's will gets broken. And I'm thinking it hits the over three and a half might go the distance, but we could be in for another late stoppage. Um, I'm hoping it's Colby Covington. Listen, uh, you, you and I, we did this two years ago. Okay. We broke down the original one and I put on a Make America Great Again hat to back my boy, the welterweight thrashing machine, Colby Covington, coming in to make 170 pounds great again. You know, I was all over him. This guy is the perfect welterweight. The reason why I thought he's the perfect welterweight, Ms. Strikey's not all that great. You saw Damian Maia outstrike him, actually. But his pace, Paul, this guy has pace like unlike anybody I've ever seen before. He just keeps going infinite cardio and that is a very very special characteristic i thought he is going to break whoever stands in front of him now he matches up with Kamara uzman and only it turns out kamaru, kamaru is the unbreakable us. guy kamaru uzman is the guy that does not tire and so when you re-watch that fight colby covington has a great first two rounds by the third round i've never seen him slow before i've never seen him tire before but he's tiring in that last fight And the longer that fight stretch out, the more Usman starts to hit him. And you see Usman growing confidence every time he hits him. The fifth round, Usman looks fresh as a daisy. Colvington's taking some damage. Usman goes after him and puts him away. Huge moment. And that's where Colby Covington comes out now. Well, you're the CEO of EPO. Because even he can't believe how the hell did this guy outlast me? I'm the workhorse. I'm the guy that breaks guys in the gym. And this guy must be on drugs, must be on drugs. And you know what? (laughs) Maybe he is. But that's not up for me to decide, Paul from so me to decide who I think is going to win this fight. And I think you get a way better live betting line. If it's really competitive through two, it might not be three to one Usman, but the longer the fight goes is where I think Usman does uh, pull away ever so slightly. So I think the line's wrong, but I agree Usman should win. And yes, because it's the main event, it likely ends up pretty high on those part layers.
0: All right, moving on down, we've got another uh, championship rematch. We got Zhang Weili taking on Rose Namajunas. Zhang Weili minus 120. Nami Unis plus one hundred. I, I mean, they didn't. What they fought back in April, April twenty fourth, twenty twenty one. Rose Nami Unis knocked her out in the first round. What is going on with this line, Cody? It was actually, it was a pickem when I originally made these boards. I mean, I know Zhang Wei Li. She's training with Henry Suhudo. It's like, well, she hasn't really been training with Henry Suhudo for all that long. Is she going to become some sort of? world-class power wrestler all of a sudden. Like, I mean, she had two takedowns against Tisha Torres, had one against Yana Yajic, won a greasy split decision in that fight. She hasn't really been some sort of world-class wrestler. And then even if she did get the fight to the ground, who's to say that Rose doesn't just snatch up a submission to honor? I know that you historically haven't been the biggest Rose fan. You take some shots at Pat Berry and so on and (laughs) so forth. But you gotta be... This line seems a little bit wet. I haven't bet it yet because I'm. I want to see Rose because Rose is always a little bit. You, you can. It's really tough to tell with her because like sometimes she shows up and she's like very like silent, doesn't even really want to talk to the media, doesn't want to do anything, and she's been like an absolute savage in those in those moments. I just want to kind of see how the week uh, goes down, and it seems like money's coming in on Zhang Wei Li. But Rose Namajunas seems like the side here. It just almost seems too easy to be true. Like, it wasn't that long ago where she knocked her out. It looked like she's, they're at least on par with each other on the feet. And if Zhang Weili's strategy is to take this fight to the mat, well, I think she may be met with some submission attempts down there. And I'm not, I'm not certain that she'll be able to handle that. So Rose is the pick for me. What about you?
1: Yeah, I got to agree. So we actually seen a similar situation when Rose came through as a five to one underdog to beat Joannie and Jacek the first time she knocks her in the first round. A lot of people thought it was unexpected. They rebook it for a rematch and she was actually a slight underdog to Joannie and Jacek in the rematch. How does that make sense? You just started knocking her in the first round, right? So people are believing it's this lucky punch mentality. Um, I, I, I will admit, yeah, I do like to shit on Rose here and there, mostly because of Pat Barry. You know, That's a weird angle I'll never get over. But It's most of the mentality like she seems frail at times, you know, there was the Conor McGregor bus incident where he threw the dolly and she couldn't fight and she had to go see a PTSD specialist and she has to have an emotional stress support dog with her and she, you know, she, she just she seems off at the best of times right, but that doesn't hinder her man like I got to get over this this narrative of just like she's mentally weak. This girl's not mentally weak. And in fact, you go back to that Joanna and check fight the first time around. Joanna's in her face. She's talking mad game. And you got Rose Yunus reciting the Lord's Prayer over and over. She just seemed off. But it's like she knows what she's doing, and she knows how highly skilled she is, and that's one good thing about Rose Yunus. As far as her kickboxing game goes, it's extremely pr- precise. It's very, very tight game. Now, if you compare Rose Yunus on paper, her striking versus Joanny and Jacek, well, Joanny and Jacek's a better striker, higher level European Muay Thai champion. Uh, just volume for days, very, very tight. <clears throat> but she leaves openings. She's hittable. That's one thing that people have talked about Joanny and Jacek in the past is that like there are openings. To, to counter strike on her. And Rose just finds those openings. She's just very, very precise. And that's the same thing with Whaley Zhang. I act, I, well, I picked Whaley Zhang the last time around, but why was I on Whaley Zhang the last time? Well, because she seems to be bigger, physically stronger. If she was to get a takedown, great. But if not, she's just going to back her up. And when you see Joanne and Jacek versus Zhang, Joanne and Jacek's a better striker. She's faster than her, she's crisper than her. The problem is Whaley's a little tank engine, takes the best you got, comes right back at you. And even though Joanna has all types of success in that fight with Whaley Zhang, fight of the year, as far as I'm concerned, she she just takes everything, right? Now when you see Rose Noman it's like, oh well, Rose don't hit any harder than Joanna does. So Whaley's gonna take everything. But it's that precision. She leaves those openings, and Rose is just far too precise. So she's got great footwork, great movement, great striking. She's got a nasty submission game. As far as takedown defense has traditionally been one of her problems. She's worked on it a lot, man. Her wrestling is actually not all that bad. And of course, fighting fighting out of Colorado, being in great shape, training all the time. I don't believe that cardio is going to be an issue for her. So it really does come down to can Whaley break her, get a hold of her, hurt her early because once Rose starts getting confident, I mean, she's extremely precise. Seeing this thing get rebooked, it's not that I would say Waylee Zhang doesn't have a chance. It's that how could you not go with the defending champion as this favorite, even if it's slight favorite status? They're giving you underdog money on her. And for that reason, I agree 100% with you, my friend. I, I don't think you can turn away from it. I think it's a live dog shot. You have a champion as an underdog. She just knocked her out. She looked clean. She looked, I don't know. Every, everything's falling into that. This would be an excellent underdog bet. Surprise! It is an underdog bet, but it is, and we'll take it.
0: Hundred percent. All right. Moving on down, we've got uh, the pants off party of the week. We've got Justin Gaethje taking on Michael Chandler minus two ten. Gaethje plus one seventy five. Chandler. All I can guarantee is absolute and utter violence between the two of these guys. As soon as that cage door closes, it's. I mean, it's already. It's you know, it's a pick 'em whether it's going to go to one and a half rounds between the two of them for a reason they both have you know pedigrees in wrestling but they use that wrestling to keep the fight on the feet um I feel like it just it's as long as this fight lasts it's going to be awesome and I'm gonna lean towards Gaethje here I wouldn't really want to touch the minus 210 to be perfectly honest because I think I'm, I'm expecting both of these guys to get hit and hurt early and often in this fight, but I, I believe in Justin Gaethje's durability more than I do in Michael Chandler's, and that's really what all it really comes down to for me. What about you?
1: I could not agree more, man. This thing comes down to durability. You got two guys that are going to stand in front of each other and just batter each, each themselves. Who Who's going to be standing the longest? Who's got that durability? And you got to go with Justin Gaethje. He's got legendary durability. This is not so much one guy's got great durability, the other guy's got okay durability. In my opinion, Justin Gaethje has fantastic durability, and Michael Chandler is kind of half soft. You look at all of his losses, there's a kind of a repetitive theme. So the last one is Charles Oliver, he started off awesome. He's beating Charles Oliver early, and then come the second round, he starts to slow down, and he gets knocked out. He lost to Patricio Pitbull Freite, who's a, a 145-pound fighter on his best of days, really not that big of a guy, KOs him in the first round. He's lost to Brent Primus, right? They'll tell you ankle injury. See, his legs seized off calf kick. And there's another problem is that his first fight with Benson Henderson – a fight that he won a split decision in over a five-round fight. He tires out, and his calf hurts. The rematch with Brett Primus, his calf hurts. The Will Brooks fight, knocked out. He's taking damage, right? There was back in the day. It's like, oh, him and Eddie Alvarez, these crazy wars. But since then, once these fights get extended, second round, third round, he slows down very quickly. His cardio is not on point. He's got a weak little calf, and he eventually gets himself knocked out. All of this is not going to bode well with Justin Gaethje, who possesses some of the best light kicks in the game. He's most definitely going to target this. We've seen three other guys have massive success with it against Michael Chandler. It's going to be an option. As far as them standing toe-to-toe and throwing their best shots, if Gaethje lands his best shot, Chandler's tumbling over. If Chandler lands his best shots, well, Gaethje's probably tumbling over. But not a guarantee, man. Because you see, when Gaethje loses, it's not, oh, he got caught. It's he takes an absolute shit kicking. And then finally his brain's like, wait a second. I can just end this if I just turn off right now. Eh, turn off right now. But Eddie Alvarez took him deep into the third and knocked him out. In one of the craziest wars you'll ever see. Dustin Poirier takes him into the fourth and knocks him out. In one of the craziest wars you've ever seen. I'm pretty sure both of them were fight of the year candidates. So t- you don't just go out there and knock him out in your first punch. You don't knock him out in the first round. you got to fight this guy to the death. And if you can do that for three rounds, you can beat him. Eddie, he had heart for days. In fact, that's Eddie's best characteristic. The guy had heart. Justin Poirier, nobody in this world could ever question that man's heart. He's willing to go through it. 35-year-old Michael Chandler. I don't think he's gonna go through the trials and tribulations, so he needs a quick knockout over Justin Gaethje, or he's going to suffer. As far as the wrestling goes, Chandler is a high-level wrestler. He's able to mix that in against absolutely anybody. But again, yeah, Justin Gaethje, Khabib clearly showed there was levels to wrestling, and Gaethje ain't an elite-level wrestler. But yeah, I mean, he's been wrestling since like elementary school. He was a multiple-time like a state champion. And, you know, wrestled a little bit in college before ultimately just abandoning college altogether, pursuing mixed martial arts. So he's competent enough to keep this fight standing. When this fight's standing, he's going to chin check him at some point. This will be a greaser regardless because you are going to be on the edge of your seat. You're going to be biting your nails. You're going to be sweating one out. But in the end, I think Justin Gaethje gets the job done and and secures the victory. So I wish this was the main event because I'd love to put Justin Gaethje and know I have a head out option at the end of it. Instead, I'm going to rely on Justin Gaethje and getting the job done to allow myself a head out opportunity a few fights down. But uh, honestly, this is the fight game. Absolutely anything can happen. Expect the unexpected. But I really think Justin Gaethje is the choice here.
0: Gaethje inside the distance, minus 115 at DraftKings Sportsbook. Probably KO it.
1: inside the distance. is he gonna submit him I don't know I think
0: he's not yeah, out anything. Here, anything yeah but let me finish uh, the reason yeah. I say inside the distance is because it's minus one ten so oh, it's there like there's not enough like you gotta you gotta always look at the KO versus ITD I don't think he has he's gonna submit them whatsoever but for five points buying that insurance for a club and sub situation is definitely worth the, uh, is worth the small, small, like for five points, it's, it's basically nothing. Right. So I would, I would suggest that because they're literally pricing the inside the distance props, the same as the KO props right now. Uh, Moving on down, we've got, I mean, this is going to be a tough one for Cody to break down two of his boys, Shane Burgos, minus minus one ninety five Billy Quarantillo, Plus 165, take it away. These are these are your guys, so people are waiting to hear what you have to say about this one.
1: Yeah, this is a tough situation because you got two guys that, listen, we love betting on motors. We love betting on guys that are going to be able to fight 15 minutes to the hardest and best of their abilities. Guys like that, even if they're not the most skilled fighter, they'll find opportunities to win. Why? Because it doesn't matter if you're less skilled than your opponent. If he's tired and you're still fresh, that skill discrepancy, that skill gap, it starts to shrink. It starts to narrow very quickly and you have your ability to fight your way back into it. That's been Billy Q's calling card so far, is that he just outworks these people time and time. And listen, usually it's a bit of a learning curve. Kamala Kirk fight, he's losing early. He pulls through. Very solid, fantastic performance. Gets a UFC contract out of it. His fight with Spike Carlisle, he's getting controlled pretty handedly in the early going of that fight. But he keeps coming on. He keeps coming back. It's actually a bonehead decision by Spike Carlisle in the second round at the end of it that to me won it for Billy Q. And then he secures the third round all day. Why? Because he generally wins third rounds. Now he runs into Gavin Tucker and that fight he doesn't look particularly all that good. Uh, his pace didn't matter because Tucker never got tired. You start to see that his striking, it's not a leap by any stretch of the imagination, just tons of opportunities and holes to get hit. His wrestling, not all that good. Uh, his jiu-jitsu is fantastic, but if you're not going to have the wrestling to get yourself into an advantageous position where you don't have the striking to strike with this guy for three, four minutes of the round before you can get said advantageous position, you're going to be in trouble. So he rebounds excellently with the Gabriel Benitez fight where he basically dominated on pillar to post as far as I'm concerned. Striking looked improved, wrestling looked improved, and as always, cardio is on point. Shane Burgos, meanwhile, he's the guy that doesn't tire. The difference between these two guys is that Shane Burgos would be considered chinny now why is he considered chinny well because he's been knocked out a few times but again i think you got to look at the fact that edson barbosa knocks him out edson barbosa has been traditionally a guy that's been ranked in the top five at 55 or at 45 for a decade right the guy's a beast he's a top level talent josh emmett kind of rocked him pretty bad yeah but again josh emmett at his best of his abilities is one of the best power punchers in the game calvin cater knocks him out third round very competitive first two rounds does get knocked out in the third Calvin Cater is a top five guy in the division. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a little bit unfair to say he's chinny. Listen, he doesn't take a punch particularly well, but he's against the best power punches in the game. Whereas Billy Q, you can be like, Oh, this guy can take anything. It's like, Well, right, but I mean, he's fighting come Kirk and Gabriel Benitez. Like, if you want to talk about levels, it's a completely different level altogether. So what this comes down to me is that as far as their striking skill set goes, Burgos is a much better striker. Mm -hmm. As far as the grappling goes, it's actually quite comparable. I would give the nod to Billy Q, but the takedown defense for Burgos is good enough to keep this thing standing. So now Billy Q needs to chin check and he needs to land something. And I just don't think he's got the power to get Burgos' attention. So more often than not, I think Burgos wins at least two of these three rounds standing, chips him up, keeps it standing, stuffs the takedowns, muscles him around in the clinch a little bit. And then in the third round, if Billy comes on and Shane's just able to survive, should be able to secure the 29-28. So this is going to be a tough fight. I think both guys are going to have their moments. It'll be closely contested. A minus 195 line for Shane Burgos seems a little bit much, but uh, I think that he does have the better striking and that it's probably going to end up being mostly a striking battle. So... I got to go with Shane Burgos, and if I'm trying to improve that line, I go with Burgos by decision because Billy Key is tough, man. I mean, putting him away, good luck. Guy can take a hell of a punch, and you know he's got the cardio to recover if he's hurt, stay in the fight, force a clinch, keep fighting to extend this thing out. So I'd go Burgos, Burgos by decision.
0: Burgos by decision is plus 175 at DraftKings Sportsbook, so not a bad look from that perspective. I don't really have much to uh, add on to that uh with you i was kind of seeing it the same way didn't really love the price but uh and i love i love both of these guys in general but figured if billy q doesn't get it to the mat it's gonna be a tough day at the office because he probably loses the striking exchange between the two of them all right we got marlon vera taking on frankie edgar minus 170 marlon vera plus 150 for frankie edgar I mean, Marlon Vera. what what can we say about him? We've always kind of talked about this guy being like next level, mutant level durability on this guy. Just able to eat all of the shots from anybody. A lot of times in pretty close fights with a lot of guys. But he stands uh, the trials of time. Frankie Edgar finally fighting down at 135 pounds. You know, former lightweight champion down to 145. Had a nice run there and um and then 135 is actually for his frame probably the proper weight class for him. I feel like I have a I have a, a sizable bet on this one as well. I took Fight goes to decision uh minus 150. I feel like that line is is kind of predica- like it's it's almost like an re- overreaction to Corey and just landing the most vicious flying knee and knocking uh, Frankie Edgar out unconscious. Um, Mar- Marlon Vera could finish the job here, but I trust, I-, I don't think Frankie Edgar finishes Marlon Vera. Vera's just so, so tough. That chin has really never even been compromised. He doesn't really get wobbled all that much. Um, I- I'll lean towards, it really comes down to the takedown, and I'm not entirely sure. Is Frankie Edgar going to be able to secure takedowns and hold Marlon Vera down? Because if he is, um, Frankie's is very much a live dog in this spot. But I think the you know over two and a half rounds minus one seventy or fight goes to the decision minus one fifty is the best play in this fight. I'll lean towards I'll lean towards Edgar. Maybe Edgar is able to get that wrestling going. And uh win two of three rounds, two of three close rounds. That's where I'll go with it. But I think there's an overreaction to Frankie being like chinny or or something like that at this point. So um got got some action in at minus one fifty, fight goes to decision. What about you?
1: Yeah, if you told me what's more concerning, guy got deaded by flying knee by Corey Sandhagen in the first, or a guy just came off a fight to the death with Davey Grant. And what what what's that what's worse to you, Paul? Like, yeah, Frank Yeager's been knocked out. Frank Yeager loses to Corey Sanhagen or Korean Zombie or Brian Ortega. Again, we're talking about the elite level of guys of the division. The problem is, is that as much as I recognize he is a live underdog here, you are not far off. In fact, Frank Yeager could go out there and get the victory, but he's a 40-year-old bantamweight, Paul, and it really does get to me that at some point he is going to slow down. Now, he's slowed down against elite-level opposition. He's getting caught by them, sure, but just in general, like what does Frankie bring to the table? We well, used to have the output, he used to have the wrestling. But like anything, the game passes you by. Marlon Vera's a guy that's consistently getting better and better, better and better, improving all the time. But we can't look at it just like one guy's on this downswing, one guy's on his upswing. You got to look at it for a style clash. And what Frankie Edgar brings to the table is pace, is that he's always in your face. He's always working. And that's one knock on Marlon Vera. How many times have you seen Marlon Vera lose the first round? It's, that, it's just another day in the office for him you want to look back, is a record. He lost the first round to Davey Grant. He lost the first round to Jose Aldo. He lost the first round to Song Yudong. He lost the first round to uh, Guido Canetti. He lost the first round to Wuji Buren. He lost the first round to Douglas D. and Silva draws John he, he's lost. He lost the first two rounds to Brad Pickett. He lost the first round to Gwing Mang Yu. Like, he lost the first round to Roman Salazar. Now, that's all true. You can go back and look at the judges' scorecards from those events, and he's lost the first round universally because he's a real slow starter. And so the problem is that, yes, he's able to come back and win the second and third round. But against Frankie, giving up that first round is not going to be a good way to start out. Now you need to secure second and third. Knocking him out, again, could happen. He's 40 years old. He's been chin-checked a few times. But Marlon Vera is not exactly known for his fight-ending power. The last thing I'll mention that makes me a little bit worried with Marlon Vera is uh, He's got takedown career takedown defense of 69%. Again, nice. the guys he's fought, Davy Grant, not really a wrestler. Jose Aldo, not a wrestler. Sean O'Malley, not even sure he knows what wrestling is. Song Yudong, not a wrestler. Andre Yule is a big, long rangy boxer. Nolene Hernandez is actually a pro boxer. Frankie signs he deaded way back in the day. He, I guess you would list as a wrestler. Guido Canetti, not a wrestler. Woody not a wrestler. Douglas Yandrov, John Lineker, Brian Kelleher, Brad Pickett. These guys aren't wrestlers, right? And when you see him versus Aldo, first round, Aldo beats his ass. Second round, he beats Aldo. Third round, Aldo is like, you know what? Takedown takes his back and rides it. Mm -hmm. It's like shit. And so, you know what? I think the wrestling is going to be on the table for Frankie to at least spice it up. Mm -hmm. Outstrike him in pockets. Outstrike him in spurts. Shoot that takedown. Grind him. Judges love Frankie. How could you not like Frankie? The guy's been around since the dawn of time he won a world title two weight classes higher than he's fighting on saturday and he now uh, and he's now 40 years old he's a lovable fan favorite character if these rounds are close he's gonna get them why because believe me i bet pedro munoz pedro munoz probably should have won that frank yeager fight but it's frankie effect people like him he's a likable blue collar they're guy. in new
0: york buddy
1: you don't want to go too close decision with them. is all I'm saying. So, you know what, dude, as far as underdog selections go, you could do worse than Frankie Edgar.
2: I'm going to agree with you on that one. Hey, NFL fans, are you hungry for a big win this week? Well, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and if they do you win $200 in free bets winner winner chicken dinner it's that simple if sportsbook isn't available in your state yet DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings daily fantasy sports contest DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code D-O-P. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code D-O-P, Dogger Pass Podcast, this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
0: All right, we got Alex Pereira making his UFC debut. He takes on Andreas Mikulidis. Pereira, minus 265. Favorite Mikulidis can be had for Plus 215, obviously, Alex Pereira, winner of two kickboxing matches against uh, against Israel Adesanya. Knocked him out once and won a decision the other time. Uh, he's 3-1 in his UFC or his MMA career. I mean, it's good matchmaking because Mikulidis, from what I can see, he just kind of wants to stand and trade and be standing and trade with Alex Pereira. He's not going to, uh, you know, I mean, this is the Mikulidis is the same guy who got knocked out against Modestus Bukakis. Well, not knocked out. Well, basically knocked out right at the end of the round. Wasn't able to get game. back to his corner. Basically forced retirement in that fight. Came back and won a decision over KB Buller, but uh, KB Buller clearly wasn't really ready for this level of competition. If Mikulidis doesn't have some sort of wrestling in his back pocket, this looks like a canvas nap for him, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, I would say. I would say the UFC likely knows what they're doing. They in Alex Pereira, and f- you're just trying to build challengers to the division, right? So Alex Pereira's got a 3-1 and record. How many fights would he need before he could fight for a title? Oh, with too many. Way too many. However, because he does the kickboxing wins over Israel Adesanya, I think you bring him right in. He's 34 years old, so they're going to need to tra- fast-track this guy around. They're giving him some good money. They've brought him over from um, the Glory kickboxing organization where he was a dual champion. He was their middleweight champ and their light heavyweight champion. Just recently lost a majority decision for Glory to get out of his contract. But this guy is very, very good. They need to fast track him. The best thing to do is go out there and get a highlight real knockout. So for Andre Mechelidis, this is a guy that's got 17 professional MMA fights. As far as MMA experience goes, he dwarfs him. But as far as stand-up experience goes, he's in a lot of trouble here. He needs to flip the script. He needs to shoot the takedown. Because even though we saw Khalil Roundtree, Chinchek, Gokan Saki, it's like, oh, it's possible for the MMA fighter to defeat the the decorated kickboxer. Gokan Saki hadn't been relevant in kickboxing for a few years to that point and was older, coming off a very long layoff. So it's plausible that a guy like that gets exposed. Whereas Alex Pereira is one of the few guys in the world of professional kickboxing that squeezes in three fights a year. Glory doesn't even have three shows a year. And yet, this guy's extremely active. He's talented. He's got big, big power. If he hits you, he's going to do a lot of damage. UFC knows what they have. They'd love to promote a fight with him and Israel Adesanya, two strikers, high-level striking, and a kick in a, with MMA gloves on. Who doesn't want to see that? He needs to go out there and get a, a big highlight real KO. So I feel like they're feeding Mikulaitis to uh, be that guy. Mikulaitis has some decent enough striking, but at this level, he, it's just a matter of time. Could he, th- in theory, mix it up and take the fight to the ground? I suppose he could. Looking at his record, though, again, yeah, you're, you're, he hasn't submitted an opponent in six years and mostly prefers to keep all of his fights standing. Even if he wanted to take the fight to the ground, doesn't mean he has great wrestling. So. Exactly. Unless Alex Pereira turns out to be male version Clarissa Shields, I think uh, he's actually going to go and get the KO and not be a dummy and just work his way into the clinch when he knows he has such a significant advantage at range. So. Give me some uh, Alex Pereira to get the job done. But, he... but buyer beware. You have a kick, 34-year-old kickboxer with making his fifth pro MMA fight, and he's coming in as a sizable favorite. What do you love about that? But I, the UFC has set this up properly.
0: 100%. All right, moving on down the car, we've got Bobby Green taking on Al Iaquinta. Bobby Green, minus 180, Iaquinta, plus 155. What you take here? of?
1: Yeah, okay. So Bobby Green is a guy that you never bet at minus money because he's an idiot, man. All of his fights are just massively close, extremely competitive, and that's the thing. If he fights a top-five challenger, he can fight them to a close and competitive decision. If he fights a top-35 challenger, he's going to fight them to a close and competitive decision. So he's going to fight Ally Quinta. To a close and competitive decision, why would you want to pay two to one on him? Just not happening. Now, how do we know it's going to decision? Well, because Bobby Green's last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. His last ten fights have gone to decision. Right, he's not knocking out anybody, and unless your name's Dustin Poirier, chances are you're not knocking out him. He's extremely durable, but he lacks a little bit of that pop in his power, or in his hands. Now, he's definitely a good striker, but it's too much of like one and done. You know, he'll go a little nice little counterpunch, and then it's waving you and brushing off his shoulder and shaking his head when you hit him back and, you know, peacocking and playing to the crowd, playing to the judges. But here's the problem about him. Judges don't like him. And so as a result, he loses a lot of close decisions. He may have won. A lot of people thought he beat Hafael Hazeev, not the judges because he was a bonehead. A lot of people, myself included, thought he beat Tiago Moises, but the judges didn't because he fights these bonehead game plans. He just shakes his head. Francisco Trinaldo and Jacar close fight. Very strong argument. He won both of them. They're not splits, by the way, Paul. All of them are unanimous decision losses. The judges don't care for that kind of arrogance, and that's what Bobby Green is. He's arrogant. Mm -hmm. So now he's going over to New York, taking on a guy that is a local real estate legend. (laughs) For all we know, he might have sold some of these judges their homes. Um, He's an excellent striker. At his best, Ally Quinta is very sharp, very technical. His thing is is that he feels disrespected all the time, and then he'll leave. He hurt his knee, took some time off. He came back, felt disrespected again. But again, when you want to look at his his best career moments, the Kevin Lee fight, he paints a masterpiece on him. The George Masvidal fight, he got hurt in the first round, comes back second and third round. It's tight, it's technical. He fought Habib Nurmagomedov for 25 minutes. He took the fight on like 24 hours notice, lost every single round, but fought him for 25 minutes. One simply does not do that. He's definitely a high-end fighter. It's that I don't think he's super interested. Now, he, by his own account, not interested in fighting. UFC's coming to New York. Al, do you want on the card? He says, offer me something that's going to get me excited. They say, what about Bobby Green? He says, perfect. I've wanted to fight Bobby Green for a while. Veteran like myself, put his time in, fun style, We're going to have a fun fight. I'm in for it. And that's what this is going to be. It's going to be a fun, competitive, close fight that is going 15 full minutes. And I'm going to take the underdog shot in Ally Quinta. I get the layoff. I get the motivation. I get he's 34. Bobby Green's not exactly a spring chicken himself. He's 35. So this is two guys, similar level of competition, similar level of experience. One guy in Ally Quinta actually fought for a world title for whatever that's worth. But yeah, listen, this is going to the scorecards. And in New York, I want Ally Quinta over Bobby Green.
0: Yeah, I was kind of considering Quinta as well, but I don't know, man. I just don't trust it. I just don't. Do trust you trust it.
1: Bobby? Just pass on the fight then. I'm I not. Just, oh yeah, I'm not. Minus one seventy five, Bobby Green. No you don't. Pain.
0: You don't. Bet, you do, you bet. Bobby. I've learned my lesson um, from that Moises fight, which I thought he won but you don't bet Bobby Green as a favorite, especially he was like a three-to-one favorite against Thiago Moises. Um, I thought he won the fight. But yeah, when he, he eats shots and then does the old like, you know, oh yeah, no, that didn't hurt. It's just like, no, the judges <laughs> next bad. to the cage right now, they just you just gave them confirmation that you got hit. And that's really like, sometimes they can't see all of these shots. So it's like when you give them... Oh yeah, that didn't hurt me. It's just like, well, that just proved to them that you got hit and probably did get hurt from that shot. I just I, I just tr- don't trust where Al is at this stage in his career. I'm just wondering like maybe it was a slow a slow season in the uh in the real estate game for him or something like that. I mean, houses are going for a pretty penny at this time of uh, you know, in this time of our lives right now. So, I'm surprised if he if he's not selling all of the houses, but I don't know. You know, I, I, I did a little bit of digging through his Instagram and like he kinda seems like he's in the gym a little bit, but I couldn't bring myself to pull the trigger. But yeah, I will agree with you. Betting Bobby Green as a favorite always has bad consequences. So stay out of trouble. Avoid this one at all costs. I'm gonna I'm gonna lean towards Bobby Green, even though uh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the coward coward's way out. Pick him, but I will not bet Bobby Green at minus 180. All right, moving on down, we got Nazruddin Imovov taking on Edmund Shabazian minus 120, Imovov plus 100, Shabazian. Kind of puzzled by this one, Cody. Um, I remember what well, Imovov when he took on Jordan Williams. I mean, Imovov last time out looked quite good. That was the best performance that we had seen from him. But I remember in the lead-up, what, Jordan Williams' last fight, in the lead-up to that, uh, Imovov, sorry, when when Imovov took him on, he got hit with some shots, and, like, he he definitely stumbled a little bit. And I think, like, Edmund, a young young striker in his own right, I think maybe people are getting fooled by the last name Imovov, thinking that this is some sort of Dagestani wrestler, because he's not that guy. Like he's he's more of a kickboxer. He fights out of fight, fa- or what the fight factory in Paris was that the name of the, the yep. gym yeah fight factory in well, Paris. Well, it's called
1: the a factory, but he used to be fight factory Paris. Yeah,
0: in, uh, fights out of that gym. More of a stand up guy. I mean, if the two of these guys have a kickboxing match, I'm gonna trust Edmund Shabazian. Uh, Edmund Shabazian just has a lot more power in the strikes that I that I've seen from him more dangerous opponent. He's young, rising up the ranks, and they finally taken him off of like, you know, he was he was kind of on a, they're trying to accelerate him to like a title type of situation. Took on Derek Brunson, gets exploited in the wrestling. Took on Jack Hermanson, uh, ditto, ditto on that. He's only 23 years old. He's obviously making improvements, and I think the biggest hole in his game won't be exploited by Imovov in this spot. So... I haven't bet it yet. Wanted to hear what you had to say before making a move, but Edmund Shabazian is the pick for me. What about you?
1: Yeah, I got to go the other way. We go with Nasruddin Imovov. Yeah, no, listen, I think it's a close fight. I don't think you're wrong either side of the coin. You got two pretty young guys here. Shabazian's only 23, Imovov's only 25. There's some good upside for both these guys, but I like the improvements more that I've seen from Nasruddin Imovov. I mean, when he came to the UFC and he fought Jordan Williams, yeah, you're right. He didn't really look all that good, but the longer the fight went, this guy's got some nasty hands, good combinations. Williams shows a great ability to take a punch because Ymovov put him through the pace is pretty good, but he starts to fatigue. His cardio looks like it could be suspect. Then he gets the Phil Hawes fight. Well, I'm all over evolve there. I think evolve wins. He's the underdog, my underdog of the week. Not only that, is going to win this fight inside the distance, specifically by KO, probably sometime around late second into the third. Things are going accordingly, but many gasses. Oh, he gassed out bad in that fight. Haas is gassed too, for what it's worth. But Haas would just resort to pushing him up against the cage because Imovov couldn't create space. He couldn't get off the cage. He couldn't do anything about it. He almost knocked out uh, Phil Haas twice in that fight, once in the second, once in the third, but he had an inability to keep his back up uh, off against the cage. So at this point, it's like I'm thinking he's a faltered prospect for sure. He draws Ian Heinish. I never pick against Imovov, but he looks so bad against Phil Haas why not take some Ian heinrich <clears throat> Now, maybe it's just Ian heinrich looked bad in that fight. Or maybe it's a Nasruddin Imovov is getting a lot better. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything looked on point. His takedown defense looked career best in that spot. Ian heinrich came nowhere close to taking him down. Now, heinrich has fought a lot of upper-level lo- guys. And if anything, heinrich is a tough out. Nobody knocks him out. He's got a great chin. He's got great cardio, training out of Colorado, great motor on him. Well, he was gassed about a minute, round and a half into that fight, gassed out. Takedowns nothing came even close. Ilovov looks so cool, so calm, so under control, and he goes out there and he knocks him out. That's a hell of a win. Very solid win. Five months after losing to Haas, it looked like this guy's been back in the gym. He's been improving. Fight Factory Paris with Fernand Lopez has just done an extremely good job at turning over guys and turning them into bright prospects. And as well, he's not one of your Dagestani wrestlers, but he is actually from Dagestan, Russia. He knows how to wrestle. He said he pursued striking is now a striker. But a lot of these Dagestani fighters have actually gone over to France. A lot of them are at Fight Factory Paris. And there's no doubt he should be good enough to keep this fight standing and now strike Edmund Shabazian. My issue with Shabazian being he knocks out Brad Tavares, and then you're right, he's the second coming in Christ at this point. Like, this guy is going to fight for a title. He's only 22 years old. He looks so good. He draws Derek Brunson. He starts out pretty good, and he has his own cardio issues. I mean, he gassed out bad in the derrick brunson fight now the jack hermanson for the even no favors what, what you just got exposed by Derek brunson why would you fight jack hermanson he's another top 15 guy he's another guy that was at one point considered pretty close to getting a title shot that's a tough fight for this kid and you're right you know it looked like takedown defense again but you know what he started out awesome against jack hermanson and then faltered, he got tired down the stretch. So both these guys could start off good. Both these guys could get tired down the stretch. I just favor more what I've seen from Imovov, who's been able to correct the problems. And when you talk about great coaches, Fernand Lopez, you know, he's the original trainer for Francis Ngannou, but he's done <clears> such <throat> a great job with uh, with Cyril Ngannou. He's done such a great job with the, the Lapalus brothers, particularly Taylor Lapalus. He's done such a good job with what he's been able to work with. Whereas Edmond Chavez, I know he's spending time in Las Vegas, but, you know out of Glendale fight team, right, with Edmund um, Tverdian, like how, how much how much are you going to improve fight to fight? Not entirely sure. I think this kid is skilled, but I think Imovov's skilled. And in a battle of two good prospects, I think the one that's slightly more experienced, slightly more refined in Nasruddin, Imovov gets the job done. But I, I wouldn't say you're crazy for a dog shot there. I could see uh, Edmund Chabazian getting the job done. But so I, wonder, uh, what- I just think... I think Imovov's the rightful favorite. It's minus 120,
0: right? What is this? A close 50-50 fight regardless. Yeah. So what you're saying is you're doubting Edmund's head movement. Head Head movement? movement. Head movement? Head movement? movement.
1: No! No! I've never seen somebody scream like that. Like, that was uh, when Rocky screamed because Apollo Creed gets killed by Ivan Drago, you know? It's like, oh, my God. This is Edmund Tverdian realizing... Oh no, my free checks for life are gone. Yep. My free money. I'm a terrible coach, but I can just be like, oh yeah. Off he's not to the, the only WWE, one.
0: WWE, they go.
1: People used to be like, the guy's a fraud, dude. He's a fraud, man. He ruined Travis Brown's career and Jake Ellenberger's career. But the only reason you know who his name is because Ronda Rousey. What a fraud this guy was. And he'd make all your lists as like biggest frauds. But he's actually equally as big of a fraud as John Kavanaugh. and a hobby. They're all they're all the same level of fraud. They have one good fighter that they may or may not have had a big part of their career,
0: and then, and then it's like
1: every other fighter out of the gym is just awful. God, like, I could be the next Terrible. Conor
0: McGregor. It's just like, well, no, it doesn't exactly. Yeah, work and it's just like,
1: way. yeah, I showed that kid everything he knows. It's like Steven Seagal, right? When he'd be like, he's in the locker room. It's like he didn't show Anderson Silva nothing. Anderson Silva was fighting his entire <laughs> adult life, his entire you know, his entire childhood. It's all been combat. Um, he's the man, right? You didn't show him a technique, you didn't show him something he didn't know. But he goes out and he wins a kick and it's like, Oh shit, Steve Zagal gets the credit. It's the same with those guys. Fraza Hobbies had 30 guys come out of TriStar, none of which were any type of notable. And a lot of these guys come there. They come there. He doesn't build anybody up, and he didn't build George as well. He didn't build Rory McDonald. He didn't build any of the decent fighters that came out of there, but he's ruined a lot of careers. John Kavanaugh has ruined a lot of careers. He, he's had one good guy make it, but because that guy was so good, you get this idea of like, Whoa, you know, you want good coaches. You look for uh, Eric Del Fiero. You look for a John Crouch. You look for a, a Michael Thomas Brown or a Dean Thomas, or pretty much ATT's got 20 coaches in their gym that Billy Padden, Billy Padden is a better coach than Fraza hobby or John Kavanaugh. That's a fact. And he's probably number 17 on the ATT roster. So, and little, little gyms the same way, but little gyms you work, James Crows. James Crows great example. Who's going to his gym, right? He's got a bunch of fringe 35 contenders, and he turns them into good fighters, good scrappers, the best he can do. Imagine you gave him a stable with 100 fighters. Craig Jackson, I think he's a little fraudulent as well, but he's actually built a lot of good fighters. He did. It's just they're fraudulent now that Mike Winklejohn, who's a big fraud, has officially <laughs> taken over the operation. So, anyways, it's just fraud, 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 fraud. But Nasruddin Imovov to tie things back in as a good head coach. And I'm rolling with the legitimate improvements I think he will have made.
0: Fair enough. All right. We got Phil Haas taking on Chris Curtis. Phil Haas, a minus 335 favorite. Chris Curtis could be had for plus 260. Who you got here?
1: Let's go. We're going Chris Curtis. We're Whoa. Chris Curtis. You he's, hate he's, Phil yeah, Haas. I fucking hate Phil Hawes. And I also love Chris Curtis. So take the bias, take the bias that exists here because there's a very clear bias here. And uh yeah, I think Chris Curtis gets the job done. I'd like him a lot better at 170 pounds simply because I think he's better as a welterweight. And also Phil Hawes is going to need to take him down. And it's going to be a lot easier for Phil Hawes, who's kind of a naturally built 185 He's only six feet tall, but he's very muscular, very, very well put together guy. If he's going to take down Chris Curtis is going to be muscling him to the ground. And when he gets him to the ground, Chris has just got to keep making this guy work. But honestly, Paul, this is all about the long run, the longevity. You got to take this guy into deeper waters. So Chris Curtis, I met him for the first time. He fought Peter Gradjkar. It was 2017. So Peter Gradjkar is undefeated. He's like the top Canadian welterweight, one of the top Canadian welterweights. He's expected to go on and and have a great career. And so they go out and they fight in just a tremendous back and forth war. Mind you, fight ends. Chris Curtis wins, absolutely beat the shit out of this kid. Didn't finish him, but just beat him pillar to post. Car's face is a mess. We go back to the hotel. I get together with Car, smoke some weed. <laughs> and the next day, I talked to Pete Kradchkar on Facebook, and he had no recollection of ever meeting me. And we hung out for like an hour and a half, right? And it literally just me, him, his corner man, the cut man that worked the show myself is fourth. And he's just like, I I don't remember ever meeting you. I'm like, man, we hung out in the hotel room. That girl from Calgary, Peter Grouchkart did have a ride to the hotel. So we got a girl from Calgary on Tinder, linked up with her. Was like, come to my fight. I'll get you some free tickets. You can drive to the, she should have taken to the hospital, not the airport. The point of this story being Peter Grouchkart never fought again. It pretty much ended his career. He sustained a lot of damage in that fight. Next morning, I actually get thrown in a car. Me, Rod Rod Wingrove, shout out to my boy Rod, Chris Curtis and Sam Alvey driving back to the airport from Lethbridge. So it's like a three-hour drive. So I get to know Chris there. And this guy's just, it's all about glory. His dad, it's something like his dad's a lawyer and his mom's a surgeon. Like, both of his parents are very well off. This guy fights simply because he wants to fight. First time I ever really spoke to him, I'm like, well, why do you do this? And he's like, I'm just looking for a seat of Valhalla. It's just like, what? And he's just like, yeah, I'm just chasing glory. I know when my days are over. I get a seat at the table. It's like, all right, that's a crazy attitude to have. But all he does is fight anybody, anybody. This dude fights a lot. I think this year alone, what, has he got four fights this year alone? Yeah, he's 4-0 he's, he's and o this year alone. He just fights whoever. doesn't matter to him. And he's wanted to fight in the UFC forever. forever. He's 34 years old. The guy's done it all. He was on Bellator MMA Masters. He, he, he finally gets a contender series fight, Paul. Wins the first round, breaks his own arm. Still wins the second round with a broken arm, but his output falls off. Third round, his output's fallen off. He has a broken arm, and then he hits his opponent with a Shawn Michaels sweet chin music. One of the sweetest KOs you'll ever see. They snuff him. They didn't even get him. A, they didn't even give him a, a contract out of it. You know, you knock out a guy with a sweet chin music, you don't get shit, mind you. Alonzo Menafield he got a fight in the UFC. Craig Hardy, he got a UFC fight. Montel Jackson, he got a UFC fight. Kevin Holland, he got a UFC fight. Chris Curtis did it. So, again, I got him on social media, and he talks a lot of shit about Dana White. He talks a lot of shit about the UFC because he's so bitter. He's got such a big chip on his shoulder. He was never going to make it, and he's finally accepted that. And so when they gave him this call, hey, man, we need somebody short enough to take Phil Hawes, he jumped at the opportunity. This is everything he's ever worked for. And now's the time to do it. Now's the time to make good. So what you'll notice here about him, Paul, is uh, the fight with Sean Lally, third-round knockout. Andre Fialo, third-round knockout. Uh, Darren Smith Jr., fourth round knockout. Kyle Stewart, third round knockout. Jerome Hatch, third round knockout. He's a specialist into taking you into deep waters. He's a bit of a slow starter. I've definitely seen Chris Curtis drop a first round, maybe even a first two rounds. This is only three, so hopefully he doesn't drop the first two. But he's been known to be a, a slow starter and drop the first round. But he's got great technical boxing. He rips the body excellent. And beyond that, he's got phenomenal cardio. Paces himself out great. Puts pressure on guys. Doesn't knock them out in the first. He takes them into deep waters. He rib roasts them. He puts them away late. This bodes extremely well because he's taking on Phil Haas, who is the polar opposite. He's an extremely fast starter. The longer the fight goes, he tends to start tiring. When he tires, he leaves himself very vulnerable. Watch the Imovov fight. Imovov could have knocked him out twice. Didn't have the counter wrestling. Chris Curtis, meanwhile, is an excellent defensive wrestler. I mean, he's stuffed better wrestlers than this on the day-to-day, but... He's out of extreme couture and he's been spending a lot of time with Kamzat Chimaev. He's been working with Albert Durayev. He's been working with a much bigger Alexander Gustafson. He's been the lead, lead training partner for Sean Strickland, not even just in Las Vegas, but they were together at Dan Henderson's ultimate training center up in Temecula, California, four years ago. All he's done is train with the best guys in the world and never got his shot. And he's extremely bitter about it. And now he's going to go out and this is his opportunity. So, He's ready to go. Phil Haas is going to have an excellent start. Chris Curtis is going to have a slow start, and he better hope to God he knocks out Chris Curtis in the first round because if he doesn't, Chris is going to work his way back in. All it. right. Final point that I feel I got to address is the Chris Curtis's one knockout loss is to uh, Ray Cooper the third. I just want to tell you real quick, he fights Magomed Magomedkarimov in. He, he fights him the first time. He loses. Yeah, it, wrestling didn't look terrible in that fight. They rebook him against the last season's champion for a second fight bum move he loses the fight by decision he goes backstage he takes off his gloves he peels off the tape he's sitting down he's mentally checked out they run in the back and they're like magma Karimov pulled out of the finals You're, you need to go right back out and fight ray cooper the third so he's just like what well what are you paying me and they're like you need to go out so he just wraps his shit and just goes out wins the first round against ray cooper and then got caught by uh, by a shot in the second like The mentality that you would need to go from I'm done, pack up your stuff, getting ready to leave, to turn around and walk out and fight Ray Cooper to second fight that night, this guy's guts and glory. Guts and glory is going to get the job done. I know I'm massively biased. I know people will say you're an idiot if I get it wrong. I got a juicy favorite, and I'm riding with said juicy favorite. And, yeah, he was supposed to fight Evan Cutts a week from next week. He was supposed to fight Evan Cutts. So I don't really think he's short notice. He's always in the gym. He's full time. He's been living in Las Vegas the last two years. Outside of that time he was dating that stripper, That he was a little unfocused. He's been in the gym every day. He don't got no stripper in his life no more. He's not on the strip no more. He's in the gym. I'm All expecting right. my boy to show up and give a good account of himself. So sign me up for some action man, also known as the King of Combat, Chris Curtis.
0: Well, I'm going to have to... It's not fair every day that Cody sh- strolls into this show and picks a plus 260 underdog. Plus, Curtis round three... Yeah. Twenty-two Excellent. to one. In. We gotta throw a sprink. Just a little just a little touch. Just a little touch on that. Giddy up. Let's go. Let's go, Chris Curtis. Let's go Curtis round three as well. All right. Moving on down, we got Ian Gary taking on a Jordan Williams. Ian Gary, a minus three eighty favorite. Jordan Williams can be had for plus two ninety. Uh Ian Gary, obviously the Cage Warriors, welterweight to champion. Coming over here, Jordan Williams. I mean, I feel like they're kind of raking this guy. Through. I guess, in fairness, the Mickey Gall, fu- Mickey Gall showed up and was the best Mickey Gall we have ever seen. Um, when he, he, that was a pretty closely lined, or he was a favorite against Mickey Gall, I believe. Actually, yeah, yeah. a minus one seventy five favorite against Mickey Gall. There, Mickey Gall just showed up, took him down, and and dominated him. Found the rear naked choke. That was all. That that was all for not. And that was his first fight at 170 pounds. But it seems like, you know, they had figured out, because he's, he's got diabetes, they had figured out the weight cut, and he looked all right, and he looked fine, I believe, at the weigh-in. Yeah, he made it, made it okay. I don't remember him having any sort of major issues getting to the weight. Now, you know, they're setting him up, and this is a, a pure setup fight because clearly they want the good-looking British guy to become a new star uh, a thing the UFC always does. You know, these big, huge cards in America fill those prelims with future stars, kids that you think could be something. And and Ian, Ian Gary, 23 years old, coming out of Ireland, seems to be one of, you know, one of the, the main uh, prospects coming out of that part of the world right now. Um, minus... 380 minus 400 in some spots it is a hefty price to pay, but is the writing on the wall here? I guess I'll ask you that.
1: Yeah, I see writings on the wall. It looks, looks good spot for Ian Gary. It just I'd probably would be way more into it. If I didn't get seriously burned on Justin Berlinson last night in the contender series, Berlinson looked as good of a prospect as I've seen coming out of the British regional scene in a long time. He's 17 and one as an amateur six and zero undefeated as a pro look good. What you see in that fight with Johan Liness is the guy fights with his hands low and he's very hittable. And when he fights a guy with a ton of power like Liness, he got caught. That's my one problem with Ian Gary. This kid looks good. I mean, his striking looks nasty. He's got a nasty left high kick. Snap it out of nowhere. Lands very effectively. long rangey with his strikes. He also doesn't mind closing his own distance, getting in your face. And uh, seems pretty good. Good knees from the clinch. Decent enough grappling. Good submission game. Like, uh, takedown defense probably used a little bit of work, but... Uh, this is a kid, he's, like, he's 23 years old, man. He's going to put everything together. Had he just stayed in Ireland at SPG, he'd be screwed. But he comes to Stanford MMA, leaves the confines, goes to get some real coaches like Henry Hoof, and those guys are going to be able to help you. And I do think that he's going to be improving a lot. Just to talk to his power, uh, two fights ago, he beats Rostam Ackman. Now, people might remember the him sweater as a chest. UFC veteran. <laughs> yeah, the only dude in UFC history that was able to wear a knitted sweater into the octagon. <laughs> and, like, not very good, but that dude was strong. And he went the distance with Jake Matthews, which is difficult enough. And he also went the distance with the Candyman, Sergey Kodenshko. So durability wasn't really an issue for him. But Ian Gary walks right through him, kicks him lopside the head, puts him away. It looked pretty good. Then his next fight was against Jack Grant for the Cage Warriors 170-pound title. I don't know if you guys watched that or not, but crazy fight, man. He just He's talking mad shit to him the whole time. It's the fourth round, and he's like, you're going to fight me? I came to fight jack grant's like i can win this fight and he's like you haven't hit me yet <laughs> like it's like oh my god takes him down beats on him like the kid's got the spirit he's got the heart and that's a 25 minute fight and in the fifth round i mean he's slamming him he's uh he, he's playing with him he's having fun in there it's like this is a kid that does look like he's got a lot of talent when you consider the big story going around right now is that he's got a letter from his mom that was like don't fight mma you're not the next conor mcgregor you heard about that so that's like the story, but he points out he's like, yeah, I took my first amateur fight three and a half years ago, and that's when it's like, oh, yeah, this kid is good, right? In a three and a half year time frame, he's gone from going six and one as an amateur to turning professional and has looked quite flawless throughout. He needs to fight better guys now, and a win over Jack Rand and a win over Rostam Ackman is certainly him starting to fight better guys. And a fight with Jordan Williams just a progression of that. Williams was a tiny middleweight because of the diabetes, and fighting at 170 was supposed to be his wheelhouse. That's the reason why he was such a big favorite over Mickey Gall. Well, if the guy can make 170, imagine how much better he'll be there. Not bad as a middleweight. Imagine how much better he'll be at 170 pounds. But he wasn't. He was slow at 170. He didn't take a great punch at 170. You know, some of the things that we learned to like with him at middleweight certainly weren't on the table anymore. And that's going to be a problem here. He's slower. He's He's considerably slower than Ian Gary. He's not going to have the distance management. He just needs to make this an ugly fight, a dirty fight get himself going i don't know that he has the durability to do that so i gotta go with ian gary but again when you have these ultra tight prospects from a different regional scene who haven't really been tested against american level opposition they haven't felt the grind they haven't gone through these trials and tribulations they haven't flown to a different venue and had to make way to stay at the fighter hotel and be away from their friends and family like it's a whole different shock to the system sometimes they don't perform burlinson i truly believe is a much better fighter than Johan Liness, no doubt about that. But one guy swinging them big old tambourines, and he hits you, he's going to do a lot of damage. The kid was young. He wasn't above getting caught. This kid's young. He's not above being caught. It's that Jordan Williams doesn't have the same stopping power that the white lion Johan Lyoness has. And so even if he does chin-check Gary, I think uh, Ian Gary's probably just going to roll on with it and eventually find his way to victory. So got to go with the uh, the Irish prospect in this
0: one. All right, moving on down, we got Jean Volante. It's the people's main event, Cody. Oh, hells yeah. Uh, Jean Volante takes on Chris Barnett. Minus 125 Volante, plus 105 Barnett. I've been uh, trolling a little bit because it seems like people are betting Jean Volante. And honestly, guys, like, if I learned anything from that Jake Collier fight, there's nothing there. You can't trust this guy, particularly, particularly... As a heavyweight, like he's only became a heavyweight because he just doesn't want to cut weight anymore. That's essentially what has happened with Jean Valante. And breaking news that what Jedi Goodman or whatever just posted, and I, I added some flames to the fire. But Jean Valante retiring after UFC 268. So he's had a kid confirmed. Confirmed. Mm. So he's had a kid, and then now he's going to retire. After taking on this or taking on this fight, I mean Barnett didn't look great. We ended up, I ended up cashing the uh, Rothwell by sub. I think it was like plus one or plus eight hundred or something like that. I can't, memory doesn't serve me right correctly right now. But um, I, I mean that was a pretty easy spot. But that was a heavyweight taking on a heavyweight. Now Barnett is what five foot nine. He's kind of a meme fighter. He moves very, very well for somebody who's so rotund. But uh, I got to fix that graphic. Um, But the thing about it is that I think if this fight is on the feed, I think it's going to be very, very competitive. And I was like, I was thinking, I'm like, maybe there's like a path for the wrestling for Jean Valente here. Watching a little bit of tape, looking through stats. It's like, no, Jean Valente doesn't shoot for takedowns. He doesn't secure takedowns. The last time he secured a takedown was against Tom Lawler back in 2015, and he still lost that fight against Tom Lawler back in 2015. Like he just, it's going to be a stand-up affair between the two of them. Uh, I don't. I, I he had a kid just recently. I'm not expecting the best John Volante to show up. I think it's really, really competitive on the feet, and the line seems to be going into uh turning volante into a bigger favorite so i'm gonna go with chris uh chris barnett here which uh may look stupid or smart we'll see how it all plays out i expect an absolute slap fest but uh, give me who i think fits being a heavyweight a little bit better uh than jean volante in, in barnett what about you
1: no, listen, you completely nailed pretty much every point here is that Jean Valente is a career underachiever, right? He's always been Chris Wyman's training partner. And every time anybody's ever broken a fight about him, it's oh, well, it was Chris Wyman's training partner. Surely he's going to get better. He lost as a 250 favorite against Fabio Maldonado. He's a 210 favorite against Tom Lawler. He was a minus 240 favorite over Pat Cummins. He was a minus 225 favorite over Maurice Green. Sorry, over, uh, who was it? Minus 180 favorite over Jake Collier uh it's he he's blown a lot of shots as the favorite so even if you're getting favorite status on him it doesn't doesn't mean anything like he's been a career underachiever the, the real killer though is that he fights Daniel milan or Alexa chuck at 205 pounds and then at that point he disappears he was never really a big 205er in my opinion um, decent enough athlete, big enough guy, but wasn't like he was shredded up. Not like he's got that pure size. And then he decides he's coming back as a heavyweight. I think everybody universally knew it wasn't going to be a good idea, but we wanted to see how it was going to go. So he draws Maureen Screen the first time around. He's actually a plus 225 underdog to Maureen Screen, which doesn't happen because Maureen Screen's never been a 3-1 to favorite over anybody. Um, he weighs in at 255. So he essentially goes from 205 pounds to 255. That's just a huge weight gain. And he's actually beating Maureen Screen. He's on. He's on his way to winning when Maurice screen,
0: a six foot seven
1: kickboxer. That one cost who me. Loves lot. smoking the sigs. Yeah, it cost. That one
0: cost people. me a bunch, and I was just like, never ever will I ever bet Jean Volante again,
1: never again. So then a couple of people say, well, you know what? They got in my ear a little bit. They say, you know what, Cody? Think about it, dude. Dude came in at two fifty five. He's out of shape. It's his first fight at heavyweight. Didn't look bad. Didn't look bad. Now he's taking on Jake Collier, and he weighs in on the Jake Collier fight. 243, 12 pounds lighter. It's a little more svelte. And surely Jake Collier, and the fat jokes are unlimited with him, is not going to beat John Volante, but it's the same thing. What does Volante do well? He he stands and he slugs it out with you. His chin's not as good as it used to be. You know, you saw Ed Herman hurt him multiple times. Sam Alvey hurt him multiple times. Um, Pat Cummins hurt him multiple times. Mauricio Shogun-Hua knocked him out. The Michael Alexicek fight, it was a body shot. It's a minute and a half into the round. It's like he doesn't wear a shot that well anymore. His output's certainly not as good as it used to be. His wrestling, I'd never really known him to have a wrestling-heavy approach, and I don't know what he's going to weigh in. I want to see the weigh-ins because so far through two heavyweight fights, once he's coming in at 255, once he's coming in at 242, but the guarantee is that Josh, or um, Chris Barnett, sorry, is going to be tipping the 265 limit because I've seen him fight at 310 pounds before yeah he's five foot eight but he's a good athlete how many how many five foot eight 310 pound guys can do a standing back float like the guy's actually quite athletic the barnett or when he fought to ben rothwell sorry he took the fight on short notice he didn't give a terrible account of himself early but then he started to get tired and rothwell's obviously got a lot of back class he called him in the go-go choke prior to that he's one of these guys that could catch you standing you know he's a decent enough fighter he's got an okay submission game but With Jean Volante, it's not so much what does Chris Barnett bring to the table, it's how is Jean Volante going to find a way to lose this fight. That's what it comes down to. And last but not least, I didn't even know what you said before, but you mentioned that he's already announced his retirement. That never goes good. I think one time, one time in the history, did it go good? No, even then, because Uriah Faber came back, he neglected on his promise to retire after the fight, came back and got his ass kicked. Like... Nobody just walks away quietly, happily into the sunset. There's like an addiction there. But when you lay down your gloves before the fight, you've already admitted, hey, I'm done. What happens is when you're in there and the going gets tough, why not just get? Dana's not going to get mad at me. I don't got to worry about the sponsors. I don't got to worry about my coaches being disappointed. I'm going to worry about, I'm done. I'm just having fun in here. Whereas Barnett realizes, oh, I really need to win here bad. So that is the difference in mentality. And the difference in mentality should be able to be enough to be the deciding factor down the stretch. So, listen, is the confidence level high in on this one? No. But it's the people's main event for a reason. It is going to be sloppy. And uh, sometimes that's fun, too. But the official pick would be uh, Chris the Beast Boy Barnett.
0: All right, we got Dustin Jacoby coming in on short notice, taking on John Allen. Jacoby, a minus 365 favorite. Uh, Allen can be had for plus 280. Interesting, because what Allen was supposed to take on... Alexa Kaymore Alexa here in this spot. And that that line was like minus one twenty plus one hundred. It was pretty much a pick'em. Um Jacoby, I don't know what he's been up to, but that's a real steep steep price for somebody coming in on short notice. Maybe he was already in New York, maybe he's already hanging out around there. He's from I thought he was from like Denver, was isn't he? Maybe he was supposed to be going there for whatever reason. I don't know, but price seems way too steep on this one. Um I don't. I don't think John Allen is some sort of world class competitor, but Jacoby's been a bit of a letdown in his last couple of fights. Like we've we've seen the limitations of his game, and uh, I'm I'm not very confident in laying a minus two sixty five tag on him in this spot. What about you?
1: Dustin Jacoby is very difficult to get an accurate read on because he shows up as a different version of himself every time. I, on ta- the Ty Flores fight on the Contender series, he completely gassed out. His next fight, he knocks out Justin Ledette in the first round. Next fight was Maxim Grishin. Dude, he completely gassed out. That was gave me embarrassing. A heart and then one fight later against Ian Kudalaba, his cardio looks tight. <laughs> like, like how, how do you go from gassing out after a round to fighting 15 minutes the next time out? And then know. sure enough, he knocks out Darren Stewart in the first. So the worry here is we don't know if his cardio is on point. Yeah, warrants the price. If he's going to fight hard for a round, we're in trouble. And the fact that he's taking it on four days' notice leads that theory to just be all over the place. Is he taking it on short notice? That's going to mean he's got lackluster cardio, or is he taking it on short notice? He's been in the gym every day since his last fight. He's got a training partner on the card. He's ready to go, and he's jumping at the opportunity. Like, we, we just don't know if I knew for certain that he could fight 10 minutes at the very least, I think he can win the first two rounds and survive a third against John Allen, a secure two of the three rounds at the very least. If he's in shape, he has a significant striking advantage over John Allen. John Allen seems to be more of a striker. He's a shoot to box guy. If he stands in front of Justin Jacoby, he's going to get chopped away. What he does do Guella is that he's able to mix in the takedowns. Now, he has never won in the ufc but he did technically beat mike rodriguez at the time before he got tested positive for the juice um, and it was on the back of the four takedown attempt or the four takedowns uh, he just he took him down when he needed to and once he got on rodriguez as we should know by now mike rodriguez no game off his back the fight with roman deletes it was actually fortunes reversed roman deletes was the one securing the takedowns over uh, john allen which largely led to the win but it's actually a pretty close competitive fight, split decision. He does get a takedown over Roman Deletes, who's a far better wrestler and grappler than Dustin Jacoby is. It all leads you to believe that John Allen could go out there, secure a takedown, cause Dustin Jacoby to work, tire him out, and then this becomes another greasy, close competitive fight that could go either way down the stretch. So even though I believe Dustin Jacoby is a superior fighter, the four-day notice, the history of having lackluster cardio, that's all kind of got me bugged out. And it's a reason to believe that Dustin Jacoby could be the apple pie shader, especially given his uh, hefty price tag this week. So, again, I I pretty much agree with the large majority of your points. I think I am going to still take Dustin Jacoby, but I really want to see the weigh ins. And the confidence level is not quite where it needs to be. So, it would be lower down.
0: That's fair. All right. Uh, Melsic Bagdasarian takes on Bruno Silva, minus 320 Bagdasarian, plus 250 for Silva. Went back and watched uh, Silva's last fight against Javier Garcia. Round one, he eats a shot. He gets a little bit stumbled, um, and that is troublesome when you're taking on a guy who hits as hard as Melsik Bagdasarian. Uh, I would I would 100% say that. On top of it, he's kind of like a karate guy. I think he trains at like Machida's gym or something like that. And he's up. He stands very upright. He's kind of bounce a little bit of bounce in his step, but. It seems like his hands are really like his hands are sitting down quite often as well, so don't be fooled by the last name Silva. I don't see much of like a grappling game from him here. This should probably be a stand up war the the bets that have my attention I haven't jammed money at them yet, but I'm about to if you give me uh, i mean I'm probably gonna have money on it anyway. I'm hoping for a blessing from from the goat c j Saftik. Under two and a half rounds, plus 115. Fight doesn't go to decision, plus 100. And Melsic by knockouts, like plus 160 right now. I mean, that, I don't understand why they're lining this like this fight is going to decision. Cause if you've watched Melsic fight, the guy hits really hard. Cardio could be an issue. That's why, like, the three minus 320 scares me a little bit. But, like, he, this guy's a finisher. I mean, you just have to look at his topology page. The guy just goes in there and just finishes fights. Um, it could get real dodgy for him if this fight gets extended to like round three because we don't really know what he looks like because he usually crushes guys so fast. Um, I'm pretty surprised by the totals on this fight. Ready to lay the hammer. Uh, tell, me, tell me all you need to know or what you think about this fight because it almost seems too good to be true.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna agree. Bagasarian's a very quick finisher, and he had finished guys so quick in the regional scene that when he fought in contender series, it's like, wow, you know, how good is this guy really? But yeah, man, he looks pretty legit. You're seeing a lot of these Armenian prospects coming through that they've got excellent kickboxing. The Armenian prospects back when we were younger were judo guys, right? You had Manville Gambru, and you had Karo Parisian, you had, uh, you know, a bunch of good, strong, talented grapplers. But nowadays, it's like they're excellent kickboxers, and once they figure out how to use that judo or use some takedown defense to keep the fight standing, they're long, they're accurate, big power strikes, love to work the body. I think Bagdasarian is just another one of these guys that's young. He doesn't have a whole lot of MMA experience. So 29 is not young, but he just hasn't fought a whole lot in MMA. You're seeing the improvements out of him. So when he fought Dennis Bazooka on uh, Contender Series – I thought he looked good. He lands like 105 significant strikes. He does start to fatigue. He does start to tire down, but there's a lot of output thrown in there. It's the fight with Colin Anglin in his uh, UFC debut that I was more impressed with. Colin Anglin's super durable. Colin Anglin's a guy that's a good generalist, kind of does everything well. Bagdasarian cut right through him, man. I mean, he looked excellent in that fight. And that's where you realize at 29, he's already a lot more refined than some 23-, 24-year-old prospect. But he's got a-, a lifetime of kickboxing. He's now just adding those other wrinkles to his game to keep the fight standing. Him versus TJ Laramie would have been an excellent fight because TJ Laramie <clears throat> has some decent wrestling, decent grappling, would have probably tried to take him down. And uh, then we can see, he also has good cardio, right? So see how Bagdasarian gets pushed later in the rounds in a grappling-heavy fight. This fight with Bruno Silva, meanwhile, Bruno Silva's a karate guy. You, you nailed it. He's a black belt karate. He's, he's actually one of Leona Machida's prodigies. He's been a M- Machida guy for a little while now. The difference is when you watch, used to watch a prime Leona Machida, at times it was almost boring because it was like he was living in the Matrix. Like these guys couldn't hit him. They would try to hit him, and he's just gone. The thing with Bruno Silva is that he's actually really hittable. Like he moves in and out, but he's got his head way up in the air. His legs are on full display. And to be honest with you, you go back and you watch his fight with uh, – Mike Hamill, right? It's a DQ win because of a uh, because of uh, illegal blows, right? This Talis Marayas, he wins a split decision. The Kamala Kirk fight, very close fight. He again wins a close split decision. Elijah Johns fight, very close fight. He again wins a split decision, like the third one of his career. And then Javier Garcia, Javier Garcia actually took the fight on like two weeks notice, and it went a full 25 minutes. So. I don't think he's got the big power to finish Melsic. I think if anybody's going to hit your under two and a half for you, it's going to be Bagasarian catching Bruno Susan, hopefully I putting agree. him away. Um, but, I, but I think Melsic is the rightful favorite. I do think he chin checks this kid at some point and puts him down. So, uh, yeah, give me Melsik Bagasarian by uh, KO inside the distance. Likely not going to be a submission, so might as well just take that TKO. And, yeah, hopefully it's a banger either side. You hit your under two and a half. I don't mind it. Don't necessarily see this fight go in the distance. But with these karate guys – especially because three of his last four fights have gone the distance. If he looks to just evade, maybe he could survive. But Bagdasarian's big, long, and dangerous. I just got a feeling he's going to catch him at some point, especially down. when you consider Colin Anglin was actually a better fighter, in my opinion, than Bruno Souza. Different style, of course, but uh, he turned Anglin's lights out. Like, that was, that was heavy-duty stuff. This kid comes in in good shape. He's the one with the full camp. I just see no reason why he couldn't do it again.
0: All right. And finally, we've got Oday Osborne taking on CJ Vergara, minus 180 Osborne, plus 155 Vergara. who you got here?
1: Well, Oday Osborne's another one of these cases of if he shows up, he's got seemingly a lot of talent. He's very long for this division. He's got a good reach for this division. You know, as far as fighting at 125 pounds goes, I mean, I think he brings a lot to the table, very dynamic and, He's kind of finding his own way, but yeah, the fight with Brian Keller, he gets guillotine choked in the first round. He has a bad account of himself. I say that because he was a minus 170 favorite. He won big on the contender series. He's a pure Vita guy, got excellent BJJ, got good striking, and yet he gets caught in arming guillotine less than three minutes into the fight. It was a letdown for a favorite spot. His fight with Jerome Rivera, knocks him out in 26 seconds, right? It's a great spot. Neither of which have seen him extended. Both of them are quick finishes. And then Manel Kopp, I had Manel Cop, and I'm thinking about the three minute mark. Damn, I messed up. Right. And then uh, Odie Osborne finds a way to lose again. Manel Cop catches him with just, he didn't find a way to lose. It was a beautiful flying knee, gonna knock out any human being it hits. It is what it is. But as a result, his three fights in the UFC have all been ended in the first round. Beyond that, his five fights prior to that were all ended in the very first round. The last time he's been past one single round was five years ago, five and a half years ago. So can he fight two rounds? Can he fight three rounds? Or is it one of those cases if he needs to finish as quick as possible? or he falls apart. The reason why that's a little bit troubling for me is that the CJ Vergara doesn't look nearly as athletic, doesn't look as dynamic, doesn't look like he's got as much stopping power. Well, he's got decent power, but doesn't he doesn't look as overall dynamic as Ode Osborne. Plus, this is his UFC debut versus a guy that's got three fights in the UFC against decent level competition. This is a rightful Ode Osborne favorite. What worries me here is, again, we don't know that Ode can fight hard into the second or third, whereas CJ Vergara shows a lot of these This is his five-fight winning streak. Second-round knockout, second-round knockout, third-round flying knee knockout, third-round TKO due to punches, and a first-round knee to the body on Contender Series, Bruno Correa. Five-fight winning streak, all five fights inside the distance by TKO, most of which second or third round. So he's going to be good to go. He's going to be able to fight beyond the first round and keep on chugging. His two pro losses are to Devin Miller, who's a BJJ black belt at the age of 23, trains under Johnny Bedford. I met this kid. He's an utter stud. I think he's probably done with his fight career, but the kid's an absolute stud. And then Jonathan Martinez on a split decision. Martinez is a stud who currently fights in the UFC. So... He's lost to high-level guys. He's not chinny. He doesn't have a submission problem, I don't think. Again, Miller's a stud and he was a black belt. Like, all he's got to do is get out of this first round and he should be able to put it on. Bruno Correa was a highly touted prospect. who was on, the, contender, was on uh, the Ultimate Fighter Brazil once upon a time. He blew right through him, 41 seconds. Jacob Silva was actually on the Contender Series twice. He blew right through him, knocked him out in the third round. Like, He's going to be a problem the longer this fight goes. So to be perfectly honest with you, I would chalk this up as like a probably a pass. I think I'll take CJ Vergara because, you know, Cody's chasing a dog again. But keep your eye open on the live betting opportunity because Ode Osborne might style on him in the first round for sure. This thing goes in the second round and Ode's not moving the same as he was in the first, slowing down a little bit. Vergara should still be there. And if he is still there, he's going to be a problem. So CJ Vergara.
0: I want to uh, apologize. I was probably saying Bruno Silva uh, during the Bagdasarian breakdown. I know it's Br- Bruno Souza. I uh, I wrote it down wrong on the page. He's Brazilians with their Brunos and their Silvas—it's just like there's just yeah. too many the of them. the like, guy
1: yesterday. A little bit of crea- I thought his last name was Ferreira. Yeah, a little it. bit of creativity <laughs>
0: wouldn't hurt, guys. Like your names don't all have yeah. to sound like basically be the exact combination of each other. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm well aware. If anybody was like, "Oh, it's not Bruno Silva," I'm well aware of that. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, that's basically all for us this week. Um, I'll, I'll rip through what I am betting or what I've already got bets on slash what I want to bet slash we'll be betting like right as soon as we get off the uh, off air here. I got uh, Covington and Usman over 1.5 rounds minus 135. I've got uh, Edgar and Vera. Fight goes to decision, minus 150. Melsic, Bagdasarian versus Bruno Silva. Under 2.5 rounds. Uh, Fight doesn't go to decision, and Melsic by KO going to be getting in on that, spreading out the the, the wealth a little bit there. Uh, Barnett, uh, you told me to wait to weigh-ins. Maybe the line gets better, but I feel like this like this retirement narrative, I'm not going to find a plus 105 later in the week. So I'll have to think about that for a little bit. But I, I'm going to be on Barnett or nothing. It's dog or pass 100% from my perspective. And then Curtis plus 260 and Curtis round three, because you told me to, Cody. So hit him with the PRP now.
1: And with the PRP, we're going to go with Usman by decision, uh, Rose Namajunas, we're going to go with Justin Gaethje. So Rose Namajunas is dog number one, Justin Gaethje, Shane Burgos. I think I take Marlon Vera, but I I might reconsider that one. We're going to go with Alex Pereira. We're going to go Ally Quinta, dog number two, Nasruddin Imavov, Chris Curtis, let's go, my boy, Bill Haas, dead man walking on the green mile. That's going to be our dog number four. We're going to go with Ian Gary, Chris Barnett, dog number five, Dustin Jacoby, although John Allen does, you know, I I, I would like to have a second look at that one. Melsic Bagdasarian and CJ Vergara is... What do we got? We got 600 dogs here. Rose, Naomi, a lot of dogs. but I looked at this card. I'm not going to lie, buddy. Ow,
0: I looked Chris at this card and I said, boring, yeah. this looks like a, this looks like a card where you're going to find some underdogs that are going to come through. I got
1: five. We got five straight up. What you noticed from Contender series on Tuesday, the dogs are barking. The card from Saturday was a lot of favorites. Of course, an underdog came through in a very big way at the end, but yeah, it's, it's styles make fights, right? And when you've got Russians with significant grappling advantages over their opponents, well, we ride the number who cares. This is a card where, who are the prime apple pie shitters? Dustin Jacoby at 365 could be it. Magnet, uh, Melsic Bagdasarian at 320 could be it. Ian Gary, is the overpriced at 380? Price. Phil Haas, I got him earmarked as an apple pie shitter as a 3-1 to favorite. And that was about the only big favorite I thought. Well, I mean, people got mixed feelings on the main event. Doesn't matter to me. We can make it to the main event. We'll have a built-in hedge opportunity. The main thing is, what do you, what do you put with Kamara Usman? my money's worth the most confident play on the card would be where was it sorry justin gaethje right but you're playing with absolute fire so you have gaethje and uzman at the top and then filling it out with the rest of it listen i think there's good picks this week i'm also probably going to try to put out props just to try to mitigate some of the damage if for whatever reason somebody at the top of the ticket was to blow it but yeah this is a fun card this is a good card we just the difference between being on a good run in this game and being on a bad run in this game is the bounces, the variables, right? If your guy eats a wheel kick with a minute left in a fight, he's otherwise winning. Well, that's what you would consider a bad bounce, Paul. But uh, sometimes Bill doesn't land the kick, and you get the victory. Like it's 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 a bounce either way. What can you do? That goes. You got to take the good with the
0: bad. That goes on mushrooms or something last night. What that a, strange, a, terrible what a strange cat. Just like um, needing, they should have given contact, like a hug though. in between. I think they should have too. I mean, he's 31 sure. years old. He's the jungle fight. What? Bantamweight and featherweight champion. Um,
1: None of that matters to me. I'll tell you is that Dana's lost.
0: You can do he's spinning back kicks. That's, spinning back kicks sell. It is what it is.
1: Yeah. Well, that's my thing is that he's lost. He, he's probably got an eye for for talent. And then his eyes telling him this guy don't got it. He he basically didn't fight for the first two rounds. Probably lost the first two. Argument he won, may have won the second. Third round, he's losing the third round until he just lands a howler spinning wheel kick to knock a guy out. So as far as the talent level goes, Dana's got the accurate eye. This guy's not all that talented. But as far as the markability goes, people want to see him get his ass kicked. Are you kidding me? He looks like he's playing touch in the park, right? He's got this this greasy flowing ponytail, right? He's dinking around. He sounds crazy as shit when he talks. And he's got a flying knee up his back pocket. He's got a spinning wheel kick. Who cares? They'll either watch him to see him land something crazy or they'll watch him to see his get his ass kicked regardless you throw that guy in a card this week you throw that guy in a card uh next week or next month or the month after that you don't think someone would say oh shit that's the guy and watch it like what you don't want to watch this i want to watch it
2: Nah,
0: we've been spoiled the last two weeks with really really good cards but it's like a billarino fits on like one of these you know fight pass only slash you know, ESPN plus cards, like let's, let's face facts are facts. It's like when we have these cards, it's clear that there's like, there's such separation between the quality of your run of the mill card these days and the pay-per-views and the top notch pay-per-views And these last two weeks have been an embarrassment of riches. So, you know, regardless, really looking forward to watching these fights. Want to thank Pat Mayo behind the scenes for uh sticking with us through thick and thin um and for doing all the sweet cuts behind the scenes I want to thank Cody Saftik for break or giving us his, his knowledge as normal for for pat and Cody I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck oh, oh, oh. Oh.